You're listening to a sermon preached by Pastor Mark Beckton on Sunday, February 7, 2021 at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information about the church, visit us online at redemptionhill.com. Today, as we're looking at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it's kind of a take off from last Sunday's message when I talked about the beauty of salvation. Today we'll look at just one aspect of the beauty of salvation, and the aspect is of God's call to us, to himself, for salvation. Uh, Normally I don't like to use superlatives, but in this case I will. We hear the word called a lot. People like to use this. I feel called to do this. I feel called to do that. And oftentimes when you hear that, it's talking about their deep emotional connection to a need or to a work. But candidly, when we talk about God's calling us to salvation, to himself, the superlative fits. It's the greatest call of all. And so I want us to look at this now in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, Brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this, He called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. For about a year, year and a half, I just did a study on the the beauty of salvation. My prayer to the Father was, would you just help me see all that is involved in your activity in salvation? And as it began to surface in Scripture, I just began calling it the beauty of salvation. Now, one of the things that I did in the process was begin to read the epistles and say, Father, would you show me your activity? And as I did, I would just journal down scripture verses and what was involved in the activity of God in salvation. When I finished journaling the epistles and what I read through there, I I typed it up and began to read all that I had seen. And that's where the threads appeared. Beautiful threads, when woven together, showed the tapestry, the amazing tapestry of all involved from the Father, about the Father, in salvation. Now, just one of those threads we'll talk about today, which is God's calling us to Himself in salvation. Now, in the epistles, the sense of God's calling appears in a lot of grammatical forms. You'll read that God calls, His call, calling, called, all of these ways. And that simple word in those forms will appear over a hundred times within the epistles. It was a little mind blowing. So I was grateful for a Greek scholar named W.E. Vine. And he he wrote about this and said, you know, when you look at this word called, it appears as a verb. It appears as adjectives. And it appears as a noun. And when I, I saw that, you could see as a verb, it talks beautifully about God's sovereign activity in calling us. Then as an adjective, it describes all that is a part of that, the richness of it, the pricelessness of his call to us. And then as a noun, you just get blown away by all that it means to us as individual followers, but also as a collective of called out ones. 
the church. It begins to reveal to us our identity, who we are in Christ. So why are we going through a theological study today? For me, I know what happened in that year, year and a half as I was just looking through Scripture, marveling at God's activity and salvation. It was during a season where I'm wondering, Father, what are you doing? What is, what are you, what's going on in my own life? And there were so many unknowns and uncertainties. And as I began to see this, literally I began to rest in who he is and what he has done. I know for us as followers, as gathered brothers and sisters, every one of us right now feel that sense of suffocation by all the unknowns in our own lives individualized what's taking place not just this next week but what will happen by next month or a year from now where will we be what will we be doing all of these things swim in us particularly if you are a planner by nature so for me i hope that you experience what i did looking at this beautiful big picture you just step back and breathe over the gift that we have in God calling us and the control that is His and His sovereignty in doing this and what we share together as gathered believers. So let's start by looking at this verb, adjectives, and noun. First, the verb, that God is sovereign in His call. In elementary school, you learn up front, verbs are action words. So we're talking about God's activity in calling us. So if there is a calling, there has to be a Caller. There is no calling without a caller. And the Father is the caller in this. I talked about it briefly last week describing first century adoption where the parents are on one side of the room, the children on the other side of the room longing to be adopted. The adoption takes place when the head of the family points to the child they are choosing to adopt and calls them by name and says, we wish to adopt them. Now, it's the child who simply responds, but the adoption doesn't take place until there is a caller, a head of the family, pointing and saying, I choose you. And in that sweet moment, child realizing I'm going to be embraced by family says, Abba, Father, and there is an adoption. It doesn't happen without a caller. And the beauty is the father is the caller, and he calls us in his timing. I want you to look now at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We'll look at verses 3 through 10. The beautiful details here. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Remember that because we'll talk about that in the adjectives. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. For the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. And listen. Making known 
to us the mystery of his will, opening our eyes to the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which we talked about last week in John 17, verse 3, Christ's prayer. The purpose is to know him, which he set forth in Christ as a plan. I briefly talked about that word last week. It's a Greek word that means God's stewardship of his plan, a plan that was written before the foundation of the world. And the Father is stewarding this for the fullness of time as we addressed last week. But listen, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. It's not just the fullness of time and God's stewardship of Christ's appearing, but this takes place to unite all things in Christ. And since he chose us before the foundation of the world, He's even in his timing sovereignly making the beauty of the gospel known to us so that we cry, Abba, Father, as well. It's all in his beautiful calling and timing. As I looked at this, it, it helped me process something that I, I marveled and yet wondered at for so many years in ministry. Why was it that the Father opened my eyes to this when I was six and the eyes of others when they are much older in life? You know, for me, I'm six years old, and at that particular moment in my life, our family had moved to a new city, and where we were living, I just didn't feel secure. So my family became my security, and that's when mom was teaching a backyard Bible club and said, boys and girls, Jesus wants you and his family. And the dots were clearly to be connected. If I feel secure in my family, how much more secure would I feel in Jesus' family? So the Lord made this known to me, and I began asking questions, and the beauty of the gospel really became clear. And as a six-year-old boy, I experienced his adoption. Yet as a pastor, I would have conversations with individuals who didn't see this, didn't understand this. God didn't open their eyes to this until they were older in life. And they have so many memories of what their life was like before. Hard memories, hard images. And yet, when they talk with me about Christ, there is such zeal and passion in their eyes over his forgiveness. And the extent and the beauty of his grace so that because of their time to come to know him and their description of his beauty and my time to know him, my description of his beauty, yours and others as we gather as followers, there is a beautiful bouquet. The fragrance of God when we gather together, how he has revealed himself to us, even in the timing of when he has opened each of our eyes to him. I marvel at that. But there's something else about the verb this sense of calling from the Father is longer than we often consider. Often I think that the calling of God is addressed simply when my eyes became open and I pray with my dad and I surrender myself to Christ and that's, that's it. 
No, it's such a longer, beautiful picture as Ephesians says, the Father choosing us before the foundation of the world and his timing opening our eyes to him. And then you have other words in Scripture talking about him sanctifying us. All of this is truly the work of salvation and God calling us to himself. That's the reason Paul in Philippians 2 talks about keep working out your salvation because the purpose of this calling is the Father to conform you and conform me to Christ. Paul says that in Romans 8 29 it is a beautiful long storyline of God drawing us to himself to conform us to Christ so that we have the beautiful privilege of knowing him and the best word picture that Christ could give to this was in John chapter 10 and John chapter 6 so take your Bibles to John chapter 10 I just want you to see how Christ gave this great word picture of God's activity and calling us. John chapter 10, Christ will be referred to as the good shepherd and we his sheep. It begins, verse 1, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, and Christ later is identified as the door, as the gate, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep to him the gatekeeper opens the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out when he was brought out all his own when he has brought out all his own he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice there's so many implications in John chapter 10 and 6 that show the beauty. I'm going to go through them quickly, but I want you to see it. First, he calls them by name in John 6, 37, 39, John 10, 29, because he knows them, Scripture says. The word know that's used there, same one in Romans 8, 29. For foreknew you before the foundation of the world. Difference is a prefix. For. So he has already intimately known you. And therefore, we hear his voice because we have been given to him. John 6, 44, John 10, 3, 16, and 27. John 6, 37, 39, John 10, 29. And even Christ praised it in John 17, verses 1 through 3. We hear his voice and follow him because he enables us to do so. John 6, 40, John 10, 14, and 26. He enables us because we cannot do it on our own. It's not within our nature. John 6, 39 through 40. Okay, I just vomited a lot on you. Let me just give you a picture of growing up with my grandparents in Texas. My grandparents shared some land with a neighbor. The neighbor would have sheep. The sheep would roam the hillside that I could see. It was fun watching them as a boy because the sheep themselves without a shepherd would just wander the hillside. And they wandered by their appetites. They always had their head down because they were looking for the next tuft of grass to find and to eat. So they were driven by their appetites and not just their appetites. Their herd mentality. They also go thinking somebody else who's moving this way may have some grass we haven't seen. So wherever the herd is going, they move that way as well. It truly describes us in our fallen nature without a shepherd. 
simply we are driven by our own appetites or the appetites of the culture. It is what we do and where we go. Therefore, we need a shepherd who will lead and guide us. And the beauty is, by his calling, he has known us by name before the foundation of the world. And he has called us to himself because we know his voice, Christ says, and therefore we follow him. I saw this with another word picture. And this is now marrying into Lori's family. My mother and father-in-law, Kermit Norman Kingsford, have had land in the family since about the land run in Oklahoma. And so I'm told, I remember years hearing that whenever Papa and Ganny would go out to feed the cattle, when they see the truck coming, the cattle already raise their head. But it's not until Ganny rolls down the window, she starts calling out, Sue cow, Sue cow. Then those cattle start running. You see beef moving. Because they know they belong to Ganny and Papa. Now they know they belong to Ganny and Papa because Ganny and Papa not only just call to them, also meets all their needs. Now for you and me, I don't want you to think that our salvation is just a Pavlovian response because we've had needs met. It is a response because we've been called by name. By the one who has known us before the foundation of the world. And what a gift to know that he has known us that intimately since then. So no wonder when he opens our eyes, or as Paul says in Ephesians 1, when he makes himself known and the gospel known, we cry, Abba, Father, because of his calling. I say this one more time just before we move on. Too easy it is for us to think that because I was reasonable enough enough to, to connect the dots and answer all the theological questions. Uh, I had enough self-discipline and swallowed my pride, enough humility to say I need Jesus and say yes, I will follow him. To think that is our salvation. The problem is, in that thought line, you and I make ourselves the hero of our salvation. It's because I figured it out. It is because I swallowed my pride. It's because of my self-discipline that I belong to Christ. Instead of Christ being the hero of our story, that he is the shepherd who has known me. And in his good timing for his glory, he opened my eyes and drew me to him. And is continuing to make himself known to me. What a gift in the verb of his calling. Now, let's look at the adjectives. And as we look at the adjectives, the adjectives announced won't be as long as what we just did. But I want you to, to know, I, I realize I hear my grammar teachers from elementary school in my head. Why in the world are you looking at adjectives before you look at the nouns? The adjectives are just the support of the noun. So why go there? For me, I want us to see the beauty of the call of God on our life in all its descriptions before we ever really get into it because I think you and I will marvel over it and, and enjoy it and embrace it even more if we first see the beauty of it. So let's start with the adjectives. Uh, the, as I looked at it, remember I, I was, I'm looking at about 100 references to call, calls, called, calling in Scripture. And the, the, the adjectives forms were just so overwhelming. How in the world could I ever go through them all? For me in that moment, I thought, 
of Christ when he was entering Jerusalem. He looks at it from the hillside and says, how I'd love to bring you under my wings like a mother hen. And I thought that's perfect because really as I look at the beauty of his calling, there are two wings of his calling with which all of these descriptors, I feel, fall beautifully under. Uh, One of them is they are part of his heavenly call. Now, you find this in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. It says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. That is a beautiful descriptor, an umbrella under which so many of the adjectives of this call of God fall. Let me just go through it this way. The reason I call it heavenly and we see it as heavenly because only from heaven could we receive such riches. For example, only from heaven could God set us apart to be called before we are born. Galatians 1, 15, Romans 9, 23, and 24. And all these have terms called, call, calling within them. Only from heaven could God promise us, us an inheritance we experience in part now and fully with him in time. That's Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. Only from heaven could God restore, conform, strengthen, and establish us in this life and the one to come. 1 Peter chapter 5, 10, and 11. And only from heaven could God remind us that our true hope is anchored now and forever in Jesus who is in heaven. Ephesians 1, 18 and chapter 4, verse 4. Hebrews 6, verses 9 through 20. Which I think is why Paul, still enamored with this call of God, writes in Philippians chapter four, uh, 3, verse 14. Ah, oh, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Greek theologian Kenneth Wee says this upward call is God's high heavenly call. And he's simply saying, I'm trying to embrace all that this means. Which I guess is why you read this in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The heavenly aspect of his calling. And Paul is enamored with this gift to us because we are in Christ. All right, let me give it a different picture. Uh, Adrian Rogers pastored in Memphis, Tennessee over 30 years and uh, he kept trying to convey to the gathered body there that the beauty of, of their position and what they possess being in Christ. So this is the way he shared it with his church. He said, if I put you in a barrel and then through the barrel in the Mississippi River, where would you be? Of course, he answered the question for them. You will be in the Mississippi River. And then taking a passage like we've just read, he said, 
Therefore, if you are in Christ, and Paul 85 times in his epistles would talk about the beauty and the significance and the comfort, the security of being in Christ. If you are in Christ and Christ is at the right hand of God, seated, completed, finished, sat, where are you? Which gives you the picture of all the heavenly resources secured for you by Christ, because you are in Christ, because of his calling you unto God and himself. How amazing is that? It's not only a heavenly calling, another adjective, the other wing, it is a holy calling. You find this in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Paul tells young Timothy, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Oh, the holy calling. Now, to understand the beauty of that, we have to wrestle with the understanding we may not know what holy means. Even in a gathering like this, we will use holy of God, we'll use holy of Scripture, we'll use holy of His Spirit. But we may not really know what holy means. And in fact, uh, <laughs> a good corollary to this was growing up, I used to watch Batman on television. Now, know my age. I'm not talking about watching the movies of Batman on television as a rerun. I'm talking about watching the series from 1966 to 68. And you remember Rob and his sidekick? It was always holy. I mean, literally, holy bunions, uh, holy hole in the donut. There was a fellow who had enough time on his hands to write out all the 356 uh, references that Robin has of holy in those three series, those three years. And he even ranks them. That's a lot of time. But for you and me, we might as well be Robin, using the word holy if we don't truly understand its beauty. And for me, the beauty is really captured in the Old Testament word. Now, we all know, or at least if you've heard teaching and preaching about this, that it means to be separate. But the Old Testament root Hebrew word goes even deeper. The root of that root means to cut, to cut. So you separate by cutting. But when you look at cut... That's different. And R.C. Sproul, in his book on the holiness of God, says it beautifully. We're talking about God who is separate, who has been cut. And he is a cut above everything we could ever imagine. So when you talk about his calling of you, his calling of me, from a holy God, that holy calling is a cut above. In what ways? Now we get to see how it's portrayed in Scripture in different places. Talking about God's holy call, it's holy, it's cut above because it's given by God's grace in 1 Timothy 1.9. It provides God's peace in Colossians 3.15. It sets you free from the guilt and grip of sin in Galatians 5.13. It enables you to experience and express the love of God in Jude 1. 
It reveals God's purpose to you in 1 Timothy 1.9. And it makes known to you all you have in Jesus in Romans 9.23 and 24. And it secures you because God never takes back his call. That's Romans 11, 28, and 29. And it's because of his heavenly holy call we see what he has done for us as priceless. Which now finally has us ready to look at the noun. The noun. Defining God's call and how it defines us because he has called us. Uh, When I first arrived at seminary, my favorite place was the library. I mean, I love stepping in just to see the books, to smell the books. In that first semester on the second floor, I watched other guys walk past me in the library to a wall that had a door. They'd open the door, walk in. They had these huge briefcases. I'm wondering, what in the world are they doing and where are they going? I later learned that's the place where the doctoral students went, and that's where their carols were. I thought, how great to live in the library. So when I finished my master's, Lori and I began to pray, would the Father have us do doctoral work? And it was more about, was, wasn't so much about the smell of the books. It really was, Father, do you want further studies? And we felt yes. And so I took the test to get in and then waited for a letter. Finally, the letter came. And I was nervous opening it up. And they were kind to immediately say congratulations. And so I just enjoyed and celebrated the next 15 seconds as I read that first paragraph. And then I got to the second paragraph and the remainder of the letter, which identified everything I was going to have to do because I got in. And my suddenly, oh, yes, became, oh, no. I want you to hear this. As we have talked about the beauty of the calling of Christ to us unto God, I don't want you to think I'm going into a bait and switch. What we're going into is an oh, my to oh, my. Even more as we begin to see its beauty in the noun. The noun of the call and the noun of being the church, which represents the called out ones. That's what you find when you look at this this word in the epistles. There there comes a moment where the, the followers begin to identify themselves having been called and calling themselves the called. It was their identity that they cherished. And the best way I can describe this noun is just to to read it to you. And actually, the reason I'm reading is because it will make it shorter instead of me elaborating more and more. This is all that's within the noun, the call. Being called means hearing God's voice and having Him open your eyes to the reality of the gospel. You know what it means for Him to convict you over the truth and impact and impact of your sin and then amaze you over the reality of his love and his restoring work in Jesus through this he grants you the faith to believe what so many see as ridiculous or impossible that you can intimately know God furthermore you felt the embrace of God's grace mercy love and hope you know the inexplainable joy freedom and peace that comes from being accepted by God you finally know God intimately it's an intimacy intended for you long before you were born 
You've also been given real purpose to know God and to help others know Him too. Your eyes have been opened to a storyline you've not seen. Uh, This life is not about what you can accomplish, but about knowing God through Jesus. All this is understood in the noun, the call. And gratefully, you learn you're not alone. I mean, there's beauty in the understanding when we talk about the call. But I marvel at the gift we have at being with those also called. Now, when you get into other places in the epistles, when they talk about themselves being the called, it's only fitting that the term translated church in the New Testament is ecclesia. It's a combination of two terms that simply means called out ones. Now, the the beauty of this is the the word uh, ecclesia, which means assembly in the first century, was used commonly. Uh, When there was athletic games, the people assembled for athletic games. When there was news to be heard, what's happening in the Roman Empire, they all gathered to hear the news. When there was a celebration, when there was a party, when there was a funeral, there was an assembly of people. It was a common term. But the beauty of the Father is that when it is used in Scripture of His church, you find the article the in front of it. The superlative of God. This is the assembly of Called out ones. And when they gather, they get to share the richness that they have in being called out ones. Here are some of the things that we are to encourage each other as called out ones when we assemble as such a gathering. Again, this is where you find the word calling. We encourage each other to consider your calling from God. To marvel and worship over it. 1 Corinthians 1.26. To walk worthy of God's calling. Ephesians 4.1. 2 Thessalonians 1.11. In order to hold each other accountable with it. To know the hope of your calling. To remind and encourage each other with the big picture of what's, what you have and what's to come. Ephesians 1.18. To be diligent to make your calling and election sure. To ground and help each other mature in who we are in Christ. 2 Peter 1.10 And to fill God's purpose for your call. Romans 2.28 and Galatians 1.15-17 Which means to know Him. And part of knowing Him is being engaged with Him in the field. Helping others that He's calling. Now, friends, I know... You know I, I had months to look at this. And basically, I've just given you a fire hydrant of all this. Let me just show you a picture of how this comes together in one of my brothers. A few years ago, I was in a small group. I was leading with some men. And we were looking at um, Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3, where it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. We stop there and simply ask the brothers, 
when you see the word refuge, what comes to mind? And what blew me away was, was Bob. And Bob is not his name, but I'm calling him Bob. Bob said, I don't know what the, the biblical writer had in mind and what he pictured when he said refuge, but I know what refuge means to me as a refugee. And that's when he began to drop our jaw with a story. He said, uh, my family and I lived in Iraq, and I was a successful dentist. My wife was a pharmacist, and we were living well. My parents were Christians, but, but I was not, but neither was I Muslim. Because my parents were Christians, other Muslims thought that I was Muslim, and we were beginning to re- receive news that if we didn't leave the country soon, harm was coming to us within days. This was serious to us. We knew it was true, so we packed up everything and left crossed the border, and entered a refugee camp. In that refugee camp, I began to process everything that I had lost. And I was angry. I was bitter. I I looked at my cousin. She had lost a lot too, but she was not angry. She was not bitter. And in fact, the the serenity she had almost gave me an attraction to it, but then also an irritation to it. So I just went to her and said, why aren't you bitter? She said quickly, "It's, it's Jesus. He said, I didn't like that answer. And see, she went on and said, listen, just why don't you and the family come to church with me this next Sunday and just see, which is another mind-blowing thing. You understand that if you are called out ones, regardless of circumstance in life, you will look for and find other called out ones. It is a natural thing to come together. And so they're in a refugee camp having church. In that first service when, when he attended it, uh, Bob listened to the preacher. The preacher opened a text, began explaining it, and it was as if he was reading Bob's journal, Bob's thoughts. And immediately, Bob became angry. My cousin has gone to the preacher. He's directed this whole sermon at me. So when the sermon was finished, he bull rushed the preacher and said, all right, what did my cousin tell you about me? <laughs> so the preacher said, okay, two things, two things, Bob. Who are you and who's your cousin? And then the preacher said, you do understand that this is the way God works through his word. His word speaks to us. And they began having these long conversations. That was that beautiful moment I was talking about where the father in his timing was calling. Making himself known. And Bob and his wife surrendered to Christ. Now, it's a longer story I don't have time to go into, but... Now there was a concern. The officials at the refugee camp were not going to send Bob and his family to America, which was their desire. They were about to deport them back to Iraq, which would have been fatal. And so Bob and his family began to pray. They asked other followers to pray. Their pastor was praying with them. You hear this? The church is praying with them. The other called out ones are praying together. Two years in refugee camp, and suddenly the plane wheels touched down on a runway in North Carolina where they're about to get off the plane and then Bob tells us you understand I'm a refugee now God has been so amazing and so good but I have left everything I have nothing there is no plan A not even a plan B so I don't know what's going to happen next so I get off the plane and we are greeted by a couple who are from a church in North Carolina They go to the airport to greet refugees just to live out the love of Christ. 
And as they began talking with Bob and his family, he said, I know you're really hoping to find those who don't know Christ, but we do. Boy, are we glad to see you. And that body of called out ones began to meet their need immediately. And by the time I'm having this small group, he is in the city where I live. And he's getting training and uh, reschooling for opening dentistry here. And he's talking about being a refugee and realizing my only refuge is Christ. And he was more than enough. But that came through the whole picture of God's timing in opening his eyes, making himself known, and then letting Bob see the beauty of that calling of God on his life and seeing it in others' lives. And then also experiencing it as a called out one among other called out ones in the church. You see the beauty of this. That is why we have looked at this theological work today just on the calling of God. I pray that with what you may be suffocated by right now and everything. That you will marvel that the father who has called you has given you all that you need. And is with you. But also you are surrounded by others who are going through similar experiences and will come alongside. Because we are called out ones with a good God. What a precious prize we have in his calling. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you that you are good you are holy. You are a cut above us in every way. Praise you that you do not change. You have always been this way. You are this way now and will be this way forever. Praise you, Father. That you call us by name. You open our eyes. You are the one who saves us and grants us such grace. And all, Father, the riches of heaven are ours, not because of anything we've earned, but because of your graciousness to us. Holy Spirit, I'm asking this. You heard uh, our prayer at the beginning, that you would take your word and that you would apply it in real time to what each of us are experiencing, the experiences you've purposed in our lives to know you. I'm asking now, Father, that you begin to drive these truths deep so that they can flower. All that is true about you and all that is true about us in you. So Father, keep conforming us to you even in this time. Renew our minds even in this moment. And we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon preached at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information about the church and to hear other sermons like this, visit us online at redemptionhill.com.